Uh, my inspiration this week again comes from the morning prayer readings from this morning, but I think it's an important message for us as we come into this season. Uh, so we have Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday can be a couple of things to us. It can be a start of a time of self-reflection. We were hearing about that earlier today, looking inside ourselves. Uh, and, and traditionally in, in, in Catholic theology, it would be a, a time of um, repentance, a time of reflection, and a time of turning all the things that we know that are not right in our lives to the Lord. Well, there's another way of looking at it, because the 40 days reflect Jesus' time in the desert, in the wilderness, and that was a time of preparation for the ministry that would explode on that place for three years. And he spent time with the Lord, time with his Father. So we can look at it in either of those ways. And, and the theme this year for the Church of England is based on this book, which I think uh, Lisa mentioned earlier, Tarry a While, and this idea of Pentecostal uh, black spirituality, and this idea about spending time with the Lord and what that might look like. And it'd be great to be able to explore that a bit more over the coming weeks. And it got me thinking about some of the days that we mark in our calendar. So you have Ash Wednesday, which is where it all starts. Uh, Shrove Tuesday is an actual thing, by the way. But um, it's traditionally, it was about using up the things at home so that your cupboard was bare when Ash Wednesday came round. Um, then we move through the various weeks of Lent, and, and then, of course, we come to Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, where we sing, Hosanna, because the king has arrived into the city. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday happens, and we may or may not have an idea about what's happening there. Obviously, there's still narrative going on. He's doing lots of teaching. He's turning over tables and whatever, depending on which gospel you look at. And then we get to Monday, Thursday, and they have a meal together. And in John's Gospel, he teaches them intensively, knowing what's to come. Uh, and, and the others, it focuses a bit more on the, on the meal together. And then it all starts to go wrong through the night. Um, I'm a Scotland supporter. It was a try, by the way, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. And you should have seen me yesterday in a rather ungracious way, shouting at the television, it's on the ground. Now, that is a microcosm of, of the unfairness and the injustice of what happens on Good Friday. And yet Jesus receives his fate in silence, and we see him nailed to the cross, and he dies. And then we mark Easter Sunday, and we come back in celebration because the resurrection has come each day has its significance. And of course, in between, there's 40 plus other days, each of which have their own significance, whether we give them a name or not. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, and not to steal Lisa's thunder too much on Wednesday evenings, but she'll have stuff to say about Ash Wednesday and what's coming. But the psalm of Psalm 27, there's loads I could say about Psalm 27, but I just want to look at the last couple of verses. I don't have the, the page number, I'm afraid, so if somebody wants to shout out, to find it. Um, actually, maybe I'll look. 557. Five, five, thank you. 
It's in the Old Testament somewhere. Let's read it from the, from the Pew Bibles. So verses 13 and 14. Um, the, the psalm starts, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And it's, it's somebody who's saying that they're under oppression, people are out to get them, um, and yet they're going, to, they're going to trust in and rely on the Lord, and they're confident that the Lord will protect them and save them. But it ends with these two verses. I am still confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so it's that idea of waiting I want to just think about for a second. As we come to Exodus 24. Um, Exodus 24. Now, if you know your Exodus... The law, the Ten Commandments have been given in chapter 20. And then there are four chapters of even more detailed instructions from the Lord. And then in chapter 24, we're told the covenant confirms. And I want to read from verse 12 to 18. That's on page 82. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the the cloud covered the mountain, and the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this is a recollection of what's going on, looking backwards at what has happened. So the narrative voice of this already knows what happens. That's important. Does that make sense? So when Moses went up, he neither knew that he was going to be there for 40 days. It could have been a year, two years. It could be five minutes. He had no idea. And he sat in the cloud for six days. So if I were to say to you today, right, when you get home this afternoon, go and wait on the Lord until next Saturday. You don't know what's going to happen. What if I say to you, go home and wait on the Lord until he comes. You don't even know it's Saturday. Every day is a day of anticipation. It could be today, but it hasn't happened yet. Do you see where I'm getting at? That actually the waiting on the Lord. Moses had no idea what the timescales were. The Lord did, but he didn't. And so he's gone up this mountain. Everybody else is down the bottom. And there's cloud everywhere, glory of the Lord, whatever. And he's sitting there going, okay then, <laughs> what happens next? 
for six days. And the Lord came out on the seventh day. Now, when the Lord came out on the seventh day, that's assuming Moses even knew what a day was, sitting on top of a mountain in the middle of a cloud. But on the, <laughs> on the seventh day, he might have gone, oh, yeah, seven days, that's actually quite important in the Bible somewhere, which I'm going to write. <laughs> but he had no idea. So the thing about waiting on the Lord is the Lord doesn't necessarily give us a time scale for us to wait. We just have to wait. Does that make sense? So that then takes me to Mark 15. Uh, Mark 15, verses 46 and 47, and then we'll skip on to 16, verse 1. So we're on page 1023. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body wrapped it in the linen and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of jo uh, Joseph, saw where he was laid. Full stop. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. What lies in between those two passages? What lies between those two passages is Easter Saturday, the one I didn't mention earlier. And I'd just like to share a little bit um, from uh, Marking Time, which is by Nick Baines, and he reflects very near the end of this uh, series of Lent reflections on... Mark's gospel. Nevertheless, the real significance of this part of Mark's story can be said to lie in a full stop. The corpse is laid in the tomb, the tomb is sealed, the woman notes its location, and then there is a gap from the beginning of the Sabbath until the morning after the ending of the Sabbath. Nothing happens and nothing is recorded. The Sabbath passes and Mark tells us nothing about what happened or where the disciples were or what mood among the people in Jerusalem was. We can imagine the satisfaction felt by the authorities and the relief felt by the Romans. We can also look for a distance and observe the horrible irony of the Sabbath being celebrated by a people who have just rid themselves of the Lord of the Sabbath. And we have no option but to imagine the states of the friends of Jesus. We must remember that the disciples started out on a journey with Jesus two or three years before. They have heard him proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is now among them. And they have found themselves gradually having the lens behind their eyes reshaped so that they might see and think about God, the world, and people differently. This is what we have understood repentance to be from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They've seen miracles and joined in the exercise of Jesus' mission to bring healing and reconciliation. They have listened to his teaching about God and his people and have tried to absorb it despite their limited vision and fragile grasp of its meaning or its implications. They have accompanied their friend to the heart of darkness and promised to stand until the end with Jesus. They have expected him to lead the people into the new age of freedom and peace, and they have now just witnessed his execution amid rank mockery and venomous humiliation. For these distraught and probably disillusioned people, 
The Sabbath must have seemed empty, frightening, and endless. Jesus had told them he was coming back, but they didn't remember. So Easter Saturday, in many ways, is worse than Good Friday. Because while he was being unfairly treated, even while he was being put on the cross, there was that hope that the Lord would do something. But by the time they came to Easter Saturday, they woke, and it goes on to say, one of the things about bereavement is you wake up the next day and you realise they actually have gone. And they didn't know about Sunday. That's the key thing. They had no time scale. They had to wait on the Lord in the desperation of the loss of the one they thought was going to save them. I don't know about you, but I miss that every year. The desperation of Easter Saturday. So the question today really is, when we say wait on the Lord, do we realise that that's wait on the Lord not to our timescale? We have to sit with whatever that means for us to wait on the Lord for as long as it takes. But when he comes, he comes in glory. It's worth it. We just have a time just to ironically wait on the Lord, which will be shorter (laughs) than any of the ones I've described. But just to ask him to speak to us today and over the coming weeks as we think about this whole season, this movable feast, So the other thing is no one day is actually when it happens. It's a day that we symbolize and mark that part in the Christian story. Can we sit with the fact that we don't know the timescales that he does? And that when he asks us to wait, we don't know how long that is going to be. And it may be that some of us have been waiting for something for a long time been praying into something for a very long time. Maybe some of us here go, I know I should wait on the Lord, but I never do. I think he wants to assure us that he's with us in our waiting, but he also wants to remind us of his kairos, his perfect timing. That the waiting needs to be as long as he needs it to be. Not as long as we want it to be. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Help us in our waiting. Help us to wait. Help us not to rush away too soon. Help us not to give up praying for that thing that we've been praying for a long, for a long time.
help us to think about that, what that idea of waiting and tarrying means in a fresh and fruitful way this Lent and Easter season. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite the band up. Nick Baines closes his chapter with these words. Followers of Jesus must learn to stay on Saturday and live with the unresolved emptiness of it. It is as much part of the Christian journey as is Easter Day. And it must not be avoided or cheapened where people find themselves in this dark and empty place. They may be honoured and accompanied, not wished out to the easy place. Jesus is dead and the world has turned very dark. Imagine it. Lord God, you did not spare the disciples this dark day and this nightmare experience. Forgive us when we recognize your presence only in the good experiences of life and worship. Help us to resist the temptation to run away when we are empty and confused. Enabled by your grace to live through the dark time, risking everything to be surprised by you. Amen. As ever, if anybody would like to explore any of that in prayer or has a word which might edify everyone else, I'll be at the back and please do share it with me.